Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you calling <laughs> Welcome to Sustaining Open Source Design, the podcast where we talk about the interface and confluence and general meeting points of open source and design. Very excited to talk to our guests today who are researchers working in this field for a long time. Unlike a lot of our podcasts, which focus on practitioners sort of moving pixels around, our guests have actually focused on what is it that we're talking about here? So I'm really excited to hear about that specifically. Before I do so, I want to make sure I introduce the other hosts so you know who else is talking when other people talk. So again, I'm Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. And we also have Errol Fox. Errol, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk to more researchers since I am one now. Yes, you are. Errol recently started the PhD and it is awesome. And I hope it goes really, really well. Memo Esparza, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Looking forward. I agree with Ariel to include more scientific thoughts in, in our conversation. Excellent. And now we have that amazing buildup. Let's disappoint everyone. Actually, no, I'm sorry. That was a cruel joke. Today, we have two amazing guests. We have Jin Guo and we have Jin Huai Cheng. So Jin Gua and Jin Wan are both joining us today from Montreal, where they are professors in different universities. Jin is an assistant professor at McGill in the School of Computer Science. She received her PhD at Notre Dame, and she's particularly interested in the intersection between software engineering, human-computer interaction, which is often called HCI, and AI. Her recent research focuses on software traceability, open source usability, and software documentation which is awesome. And some of her current work includes supporting communication between different stakeholders in open source projects and approaching usability and inclusiveness. Jing Hui is an assistant professor at Polytechnique Montreal, also in Montreal with McGill, where he directs the Human-Centered Design Lab, which sounds super cool. I can see Errol smiling, even though I'm looking at a different screen. His research combines the fields of human-computer interaction with software engineering, and he's interested in understanding and supporting software teams and collaboratively leveraging the ability of new technologies to satisfy the user's diverse needs and characteristics. Super exciting work. His recent work investigates techniques for enhancing the usability practice in open source communities, asynchronous collaboration in open source, software development context, AI-empowered creativity support technologies for interaction design and the design of data-driven intelligence systems. So a lot going on. Jin Zhenghui, it is great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we start, because there's a lot of avenues I want to just dive right into, I want to talk about how we got you on the podcast. So I had subscribed to the Sloan Funding newsletter, which is a new experiment by Elizabeth Fudd. Liz Fudd is excellent. Also has a PhD in whale song. Didn't know that before. Now I know. What's really interesting is that they had given money to you, I believe, Jim, for your work on UX and design. Can you talk a bit about what that grant was and how it worked? First of all, thank you for inviting us. It is our great pleasure to talk about our research, including what we have done in the past years and what we plan to do using the Sloan Foundation support. 
Actually, this grant is supporting of our collaboration between Jingwei and me, and it's about supporting the open source usability for scientific software specifically. So a lot of the scientific software in the past has been focusing a lot on the collaboration aspects, but even though the efforts is there, they mainly focusing a lot on people's different expertise and how to make things work so that the scientists can do what they want to do. But they haven't focused too much on the usability aspect. It seems probably it's a higher bar to achieve. So if they can get things done, people probably shouldn't be too picky because it's very big barrier of a domain-specific knowledge. But we have some profiles on working on usability issues for open source, which is already in the past decades has been like the holy grail that's hard to be conquered. So we are hoping that to transfer our understanding about general open source usability and specifically how to use scientific software as a specific angle so that the scientific advances can benefit from our work. So this is basically why we are getting in touch with a Sloan Foundation, and we are hoping using this grant to, to help advance the scientific software usability, but also use the end result from our projects to benefit the open source usability as a whole. So I want to ask either one of you step in to answer this, because we will have people listening that know exactly, they've got a picture in their mind, or they know exactly what you mean when you say scientific open source software. But if you're like me, Perhaps you don't know immediately what to think of when you hear the word scientific open source software. So I'd love a quick explainer of what kinds of things scientific researchers use and what are maybe even going into some of the common problems that you've maybe seen around usability. I would love to know those. Yeah, so maybe I can quickly measure something and then Jinghui can uh, join the gap that for the things I have missed. So open source scientific software is also a very big term. So if you look at the landscape of those software, you can see a lot of the small-scale softwares that it doesn't include a lot of the considerations of the usability into it. It's used by a small team, developed by the small team, and there is not intensive dynamic of the collaboration between different expertise. In those cases, even though this is also an interesting problem, a lot of researchers are handling that, we're towards a different direction. We're trying to look at the projects that have a GUI component in it. So supporting the more fundamental scientific activities, for example, the tutorial, which is also I mentioned in the Spotlight projects, that supports the reference management, which almost every scientist have to do. And we're looking at other projects that they have a bigger user base. They have conflicting ideas about how the usability should be approached. And they have the dynamic of communicating between the people who have more scientific expertise versus people who have more software development ideas or agendas. So in this case, a lot of the problems they are facing potentially can use our expertise. So better use the information uh, communication platforms that are currently using. Yeah, I think like Jing said, scientific software has a big spectrum from like single person, small projects to huge projects that, that used by a lot of people. And there are different types of scientific software too. So there are computational tools, there are like editing tools, there are reference management tools. So in our project, we're not differentiating the different types of tools, but we're differentiating the size of the project. So we're specifically focused on large scientific projects that potentially have a lot of users. 
and their usability has usually have a larger impact because just the, the size of the user base they increase the impact basically in terms of the example of the usability issue we don't have a very specific usability issue in the context of scientific open source software but i think a lot of the scientific software that has a buoy will have some similar usability issues than other software, other open source software. I remember in our previous work, we have looked at a couple of other non-scientific open source software. And the common thing that emerged is really a lot of discussions are focused on very small details of the design. Like uh, when you click on the button, uh, what would happen? Like, should the file open in a different tab or not? Should single click or double click open the file? Those kind of small things, people have actually heated and very intense discussions on it. People have different opinions. So that's an interesting thing, I believe, that happens in the scientific open source software project as well. Well, I can't even imagine like the size of the research you guys are planning to do, but I'm really interested to know, like, how are you focusing like your research? Are you doing like research with users or taking a checklist of the best practices and then match with each tool? What do you guys are thinking to do to start with? So this is mostly about the research approach that we follow. I think we adopt quite a wide range of research methods in our studies as well. So we do user studies. So we do surveys and interviews with open source developers, designers, and users. We do design studies as well. So some of the projects we're currently working on, they're related to creating some of the, the tooling support that can support the involvement of wide range of stakeholders in the open source development process, uh, including designers and users. We also do a lot of natural language processing and content analysis, not necessarily natural language processing, but content analysis on natural language to understand what is going on in the, in the issue tracking systems, in the discussion forums, those kind of textual content that is generated by the community. And then we also do some machine learning and natural language processing to kind of automatically detect them and analyze them. Yeah, I'm sure Jin has something. Yeah, I want to mention that the empirical study probably is the major resource for us to start our projects and to identify what are the problems. Because of a lot of the projects, their communication are asynchronized and among the peoples with different expertise. So what they have left in those different platforms are the direct evidence for us to pinpoint some of the things that we want to later on ask them explanations or ask their opinions if certain things we can help them to improve. So that empirical part is uh, very critical. So the places that we have looked at in the past, including the GitHub, the issue discussions, the pull request, and also some of the forums that the projects has been used. And especially we are focusing on the communication between the designers and end users. So we would expect a lot of the informations are not under the hood, are more easier to find hints from those places. But in order to understand it better, especially the end user's perspective, we have to still later on go to the direct conversation with them. So that is what the human inquiry related method we just mentioned is going to take place at a later stage of the project. So it makes a lot of sense that this is the Sloan grant. Sloan is interested in accelerating science, accelerating the world's worth. Sloan is a massive philanthropic organization that was funded by, I believe, the founder of, of General Motors. And so the idea was, let's put all this money aside and every year we'll take a bit off the top and we'll find someone who wants to make that 
money go to help all of humanity. And so this sounds really good to me. What's interesting for me when we talk about your research is I could see it going two ways. So one way is you help out the communities themselves and you say, hey, we found some issues. Maybe if you add this button, it'd be really useful and people would get less angry. Great. And that's sort of accelerant science. But then you're academics and academics have a different perspective on everything. While they're doing this work, they also have these ulterior motives. We want to publish this sort of research here. We want to make sure that we get cited. We want, and nothing's bad, by the way. I'm, I'm casting it that way to be comical, but really it's, well, we're interested in this problem and we want to explore this new body of work to figure things out. I'm curious, how do you see this framing your larger conversations with your general interest? Because in your bios that I mentioned earlier, you're interested in so much stuff. What are you particularly interested in learning from this study that will help your future research? What are you trying to learn here on an academic sense? I think that the scientific software pose a very important and interesting challenge. And the result, as I mentioned earlier uh, at the beginning of the show, can have more general implications. Open source software should be developed and what the roles the end user should play during this process. And the scientific software is interesting because it is, I think a lot of, currently we are looking at the tutorial, for example. We can see a lot of the end users, they are so passionate about the software. It have huge impact to their daily lives. So this kind of dynamic is going to enable us to better communicate with them, connect with them, and talk about their specific problem. But Richard, you just make a good point. So our role as a researcher is not too much focusing on improving one specific project. It's to understand the mechanism that how the scientific software or in general software should build and the end user should play into it. So this kind of zooming out is what we using our research method and to emerge into the data and then zoom out from the data to see what are the things can be applied in general and what kind of communication dynamics those things we observe tells us and how to be changed is very critical. Richard, you make a very good point, actually. So like Jin said, we're not trying to advance one particular software, open source scientific software, but we're trying to really understand how to facilitate the entire process that can benefit a lot of software projects. And in terms of the research angle, I think we do care about publication. We do care about like the impact in terms of citation, but we do also care about like how the community would be able to adopt some of our techniques and tools and some ideas in the tools so that we can actually help the process going. That is a little bit related to our background as well. So I'm not sure Gene is actually has the PhD education in software engineering, which focuses a lot of on software development process. I have the background in HCI mostly. So I study a lot of things about design, about tooling, particularly when it comes to software development. So that's where our expertise combined and try to promote the entire communication flow, the involvement of stakeholders through some process improvements and tooling improvements, basically. Yeah, I want to briefly mention that for open source usability, I think the tooling is one aspect, but the ultimate goal for our improvement on the tooling is the mindset improvement. So if there's any way that we can make this awareness 
of the roles between the communication designers and end users more focused and more prioritized. I think that is, as a researcher, maybe will give us the most rewarding experience. So there's so many different things that have been mentioned that it's really hard to focus my question because there's so much that I want to talk about around this. But what I really want to focus in on is, so in the last year, since I started my PhD this earlier this year, I've read a lot of papers about usability in open source software. I've tried to read as many as I possibly can. And something that's really frustrated me as somebody that's only just doing academic work, like I've been practice-based for more than 10 years and moving into academia was really tricky for me coming from a very practical background. I was really frustrated by this thing that kept coming up in usability open source papers where there would be sort of these experiments which are academically sound, you know, seeing whether certain things work and testing them out and then measuring and observing and writing about those. Makes sense to me now. But I found myself being so frustrated and saying, well, that didn't work because you're not in there participating with that open source (laughs) project. You're still distanced by your academic research boundaries. And really a lot of the things that I've observed trying to do both in both a practice sense and an academic sense lately is, well, how can you really help your research that could really benefit open source projects in so many different ways and the the communication between designers and end users and the developers and everyone that works on the project. How can that really be taken up when there is this sense of, well, I'm researching, I'm not participating. I'd love to hear like your thoughts on that and whether you've had a similar (laughs) challenge when researching open source projects. I want to say that this is and very important observation. I think this is a struggle. I think most of the people who are working on research related to open source are facing. Because of our limited resources and effort, we sometimes have to focus in on the setting that can demonstrate certain promises of what we are researching on in the academic setting. But also I have the same agony when reading the papers and to see that what is this method or tool put in context? What are the assumptions they're making that's probably will be totally violated in the actual project setting? So I guess as a researcher, ideally, we would need to make more frequent and iterative collaborations with open source projects by either interviewing them or have our early project ideas, I mean, projects means uh, the scientific project ideas, bouncing with them and to see what are the relevance of our research with their real concerns. It might not be that apparent for people who are not interacting with the practitioners. For us that we have been talking with the practitioners either through surveys or interviews very early on in the past years uh, in several of our projects, and they become more and more primary for us as a concern to connect with them early and frequent. So one of the things that currently we're planning on is to conduct some of the workshops that is going to invite the end users and the designers to be in the same place, to work together, to observe their dynamics of communicating. So hopefully those kind of effort is going to give us some insight of what are the actual assumptions that in practice we might be easily omit if we only read those papers. 
Yeah, I think that's a very important aspect to consider. I think that's a limitation in a lot of academic work, academia work. We don't think we can actually fully address that aspect as university researchers, because like Jean said, we don't have the resource, we don't have the direct connection with open source communities, but we try to establish this connection here and there during the research progress in order to create something that is really helpful for the community. That being said, I think the goal of research is also a little bit different from the goal of practice as well. So we may propose something that seems to be not relevant right now, but maybe it will be relevant in a couple of years. So we've seen a lot of HCI research that being done like 10 years and 20 years ago and then proposed some really interesting interaction. But at that time, it was basically not feasible or not making sense in that context. But right now they're actually using a lot of commercial softwares or products. So I think that's one of the motives for us to do this kind of research as well. We're focusing on the current context, but we're not trying to directly confined by the current context. But we're trying to propose something that may be useful in the future. Yeah, I also want to mention it's a conundrum for the researchers as well, because we're all aware of the overwhelming workload for OSS contributors. So a lot of people are complaining that they are being studied by the researchers might add additional layer of work for them. Sometimes this kind of communication between two communities are important for people to understand the nature of their work and how they can support each other for the overall benefit of OSS development. And here are a couple of different references to the community aspect, and it's a very important aspect for open source development and design. So I would like you to ask, how important is the community aspect in your research? And how are you planning to tackle that, like with community managers or how to involve like the aspect of harder scientific research, you know, to study how people communicate and collaborate between them. So what are your thoughts on incorporating that community aspect to your research? So I think there are a couple of things we are trying to do in order to achieve that. So one thing that we have been doing a lot over the past few years is to analyze the contents, the material that is generated by the community and trying to use that as a proxy to figure out what is happening in the community. So for example, the issue discussions that happened in the open source projects, things that happened in the forums that actually user raised some question and we are trying to understand how the development team would be able to address them or how the community would react to those kind of issues. So that's one aspect. And another aspect is that we're trying to reach out to the community members. So we're trying to do some surveys and interviews with open source developers and designers and end users and trying to understand what kind of challenges they actually are experiencing what kind of things they are willing to have in order to help them get involved in the community. Maybe I want to briefly mention that the term of community, probably people will have a pretty constrained understanding about what the community means. Does it mean that people who are contributing a lot in terms of the code? Or it means that people are act as a designer, they are part of the team, or they are part of the other designer community? So what we hope is to blur the boundary of 
communication between those more stereotyped community, but to make them feel welcomed to communicate with each other, regardless of their title or role. We have this observation that for the GitHub, for example, that is a central place of community for developers, probably, because the dominant design for that platform is central by code contribution. It is very hard for the designers, for example, to manage their designing artifacts and other kind of artifacts related to users in that platform. So what kind of platform we use plays an essential role for what kind of communities in the end is going to emerge. So we're thinking that for the end user and designers, are there any way to better support the community building? And they will have a better way of phrasing their opinions towards usability to the developers. So that's why I want to briefly add that how to modify or update our community to support the broader community building is one of our goals. I think on the same subject, I'm curious, you're talking a lot about what you can do in your research and what your project will focus on, which makes sense. That's your perspective. Listening to Errol's comment about reading all these papers and thinking about how there's this huge gap between academia and communities that you're trying to address. I think a lot of our listeners are probably designers who are active in their open source communities at the moment and not academics, which is a shame, but that's how it is. Academics are the best too. Is there anything you would suggest to designers or to communities which have design focus or just open source in general to get involved with research happening on open source besides reading thousands of papers and doing a PhD? Obviously, they can go to your workshops and that would be the best. And please drop in the show notes where we can sign up to be part of this, especially to work on things like Zotero. But say they work on other open source, what can they do to sort of close that gap between research and open source? I guess this is the mutual effort, not is something that specifically the designer needs to work on. As a research community member, I think we also need to work on reaching out to the designer community. We have been recruiting participants from the Open Design Forum in the past, and people are reacting very positively and give us very valuable pointers and a description of their own experience. And some of the, our recent prototypes are hugely informed by their participation into this research projects. And in the future, we definitely are planning to continue using this platform and also other platforms to make the communication with the community. As a designer, I guess, if you're willing to help also by responding people's ads and give honest opinions about your past experience, what you consider things need to be improved. I think that's maybe what we are hoping for. I do agree that it's a mutual thing. I think it's mostly the researchers who needs to approach to the designers more than the designers approach to the researchers. One thing though is as uh, computer science researchers, we do a lot of conferences, but then we participate in a lot of academia conferences and we see a lot of practitioners actually go there as well in order to, to learn about what is the advanced research have been done. Maybe that's one way of understanding the research space, but from our perspective, I think researchers need to go to the practitioners conferences more as well in order to understand better what are the concerns the practitioners Oh, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, even going to design conferences as like an open source person is quite difficult. They don't tend to want you there. I've said this on record many times, but design conferences, 
They need to welcome more people rather than just really flashy, fashionable, flashy designers doing, I don't know, stuff for evil clients. You can quote me on that. But I'm really, I'm really curious. You mentioned workshops a little bit earlier on. And I'm also really curious about something that you wrote in the notes to review, which is about the role of end users in open source software design. And I'm really curious about how you view end users as a kind of designer and what that might mean for how you're doing your work and whether these workshops are a way of doing that. I think we're not trying to consider end users as designers because they really don't have the expertise that the designer has. They're not developers as well because they don't have the expertise. But what they have is the perspective from the end user. So they have their own struggles. They have their own challenges when using a piece of software. And we come from the participatory design perspective where any stakeholder in the project need to be getting involved to make decisions in open source projects. So I think right now I see a lot of movements on helping designers getting involved in open source projects, which is still in progress. I understand there's a lot of challenges still, but at the same time, I think getting end users get involved in those processes still new and still in its infancy. So even for the simple tools like GitHub, it's really just focused on developers. And even designers had to learn a lot in order to contribute to open source projects on GitHub. There's actually no way that users do not have any experience or knowledge about software development, be able to contribute to those issue discussions or any kind of reviews that happened on GitHub. The platform that usually go to is the forums that is kind of reserved for the end users. But then at the same time, the developers would not be able to discuss and contribute to those kind of platforms. So there's kind of a segregated space for those kind of group stakeholders. So what we're trying to do is kind of break down this kind of silo in different kind of groups of stakeholders in order to facilitate their communication and discussion better. So I'm aware we're running up on time, which is a shame. I wish this was a three-hour podcast. I want to ask some really cool stuff first, because I know that you're not just doing an ethnographic study. You're also doing conscious analysis of like a post and looking at how things work. And I know that you're also interested in AI. Can you tell me a bit about how that's going to work, how you're going to get AI to play with designers and open source communities? Because I can't, and I'm not even artificially intelligent. Sorry, that was a horrible joke. I apologize. This is a very intelligent conversation, so I'm sure that <laughs> we got all that covered. And I want to briefly maybe mention two of our previous work that we directly benefit from the artificial intelligence, specifically in natural language processing techniques for managing the large amount of textual content collected every day on the open source forums, for example, the GitHub issues. So that actually comes from our own experience, because as I mentioned, we a lot of time need to look at the data and look at the content they have left there and to identify what are the information serves what kind of purpose. So we realized that the GitHub, for some other form probably similar, they kind of is a heterogeneous information left there. And when you want to find certain things, it's really like needles in the hay. You have to go through them and the key word searching is just not work. But there's hope because there's specific patterns into the content people have left in there. So in our previous work, we have identified 16 information types that different stakeholders might want to use them. 
So for example, there's information type related to how to reproduce this bug so that the developers can better pinpoint the problem. There's some discussion related how to approach the design, what kind of trade-offs if you want to do it this way or other way related to the solution space. And for the end users, a lot of time, if there are certain problems, they just want to know what is the current workaround because they are not able to wait for several months before this result. So we are using some of the natural language processing techniques to classify the information type so that people can find specific information type based on the task they have had. So we have another work that is specifically for addressing the usability, which is we find that the users, even though for some end user who have overcome the barrier of the technical space on GitHub, for example, to submit a post. And because of the lack of experience of making a post and also the complexity of the usability issues, it's very hard for them to make a strong argument that this usability issue needs to be prioritized compared to other, for example, the backlog the user that developers have for certain bug fix. So we find out that, for example, there's one framework called argumentation theory that people have used it for assess the usabilities in the more usability testing settings and other places for making a good argument for the usability problems. So we want to see that if the people's discussions on the forum can be structured in the argumentation components so that they can make a more convincing point about their problems, including what are the claims, what kind of evidence they have gathered, and how the evidence is going to support their claims. So we also try to use artificial intelligence techniques to differentiate the different kind of information content. And later on in our future work, we hope to make more scarfolding for the users so that they can, from the beginning, have more information about the problems they are having to develop more emphasis from the development team. I love that. That is so cool. I think I should do another podcast called Computational Linguistics that just focuses on NLP stuff because that's just super fun. You mentioned future work, which was timely because we are running up on time. So where can people find your future work and you on the internet? Jin, where can we follow along? We have our website. I'm also on Twitter, but sorry that I'm not so active. <laughs> but yeah, we will reach out to the designer community and the user community for our future work to help us better understand your communication issues and opportunities. Hopefully we can make more direct interactions later on. You can find me on my website. I'm a big Twitter reader, but not a Twitter poster. So I use Twitter a lot just for like checking whatever other people are saying. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well with the handle Jim Bichon with my full name. Awesome. All right. So you can follow both of you on Twitter, but don't wait to hear anything, which is great because you're out doing awesome work. You're going to have a website in the future, which will dedicated to this work. For now, listeners, all of their current work is on their personal websites, which you can find in the show notes, as well as their Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, what have you. This has been super fun. I really enjoyed learning about what you're doing and what you're going to do, but we're not over yet. Now it's the time of the show where we do spotlights. We point out people, projects, things, places, dogs, whatever, which you feel like need some love or some light. I mentioned others have this style open source because the hosts have done way too many spotlights, but generally awesome things. Memo Esparza, what is your spotlight today? My spotlight today is an organization and a website. 
that space in our community. It's called Jamstack, jamstack.org. It's a popular way of building websites that I found really useful and easy to work with developers. So, yeah. Awesome. Jamstack. Errol, what's yours? I like this Jamstack thing, Memo. It supports Hugo and Gatsby. That's cool. My spotlights, I decided to add in a second one really quickly because we were talking about academic papers and usability and open source. So my first spotlight is an event that's coming up next year, which is FOSS Backstage. They are accepting proposals at the moment for talks around all things to do with open source community stuff, design stuff, development stuff. They're very cool. I highly recommend you checking them out and submitting a proposal for a talk, especially if you're a designer. They are very supportive of design-related talks. The second one that I have is one of my favorite papers that I've read, probably because I found it the easiest to read. Academic papers, if you're not an academic or just starting out, can be really hard going when you start reading them. This one is called Non-Response, Social Exclusion and False Acceptance, Gatekeeping Tactics and Usability Work in Free and Libre Open Source Software Development. It is by the authors, Nico Rajanen, Netta Ivari, Arto Lanamaki. It's really good and highly recommend anybody to read that paper just because it's such an easy academic read. Awesome. Thank you. My spotlight today is going to be JS Montreal. I also used to live in Montreal. I really love that city. And I found that the JavaScript Montreal meetup was super welcoming and super, super friendly. It was actually really hard for me to choose this one out of all the other cool meetups and code things going on in Montreal. It is the best city in North America. So if anyone has the opportunity to go there, please do so and go to JS Montreal. It's a ton of fun. Jen White, what is your spotlight? I think I listed some projects that actually influenced me a lot and influenced my research a lot, actually. So the first project was actually Atom. So this is the first open source project we have studied on. And this is where we found a lot of discussions that happened on the issue tracking systems where people are debating a lot on some seemingly trivial design details, like clicking on buttons, opening tabs and stuff like that. That actually opened up some of our research directions. The second project is Jupiter. So this is actually a project that we are currently working on a lot. We're trying to look into how data scientists use those projects and uh, to, to support their work. And this is also a place where data scientists are collaborating with designers and developers in order to improve the usability of this work. Awesome. Thank you so much. Adam and Jupiter are the best. Jin, what's your spotlight? Mine is along a similar line with Jinhui. I listed two projects that influenced my previous work and current work. So Scikit-learn has been one of the projects we analyzed quite extensively in our previous work because we have the machine learning background. We understand a little bit more about the domain-specific part. And also in some of the issues, they discuss the usability of the API design, which I find fascinating because a lot of the projects, when they don't have a GUI, they probably think, I. Oh, the usability is none of my business, but actually the API users will also benefit a lot if you, for example, follow the new heuristics and try to interpret it into the API design. And Zotaro is the project that we recently 
started working on. And I also recently converted as a tutorial user. <laughs> so I have a, a little bit personal experience. I think this is a long-term project has been benefited a lot from the community. And they have been quite strong support to the users based on our current very initial analysis. But it gives us a lot of insight for how the end users should approach the team and should be approached. So we're hoping to connect with them later on with more concrete agendas about research so that we were going to benefit more from the research activity we're doing. Awesome. Second for Zotero, it is super useful. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was really great to hear about your research and what you're doing to help out understand what's going on. That's what we're all trying to do here. Listeners, if you want to get involved as well, you're always welcome to jump on the discourse sustain and have conversations about design and about open source. You could also jump on the open source design community or I guess technically co-sponsors of this podcast. Thank you so much, Jin Hui and Jin. It's been great to have you. Best of luck with your research and keep in touch. 